Welcome to the Living Faith Fellowship Conference podcast. The Living Faith Fellowship is a peer network of like-minded churches united under a single biblical authority and one common mission. You're about to hear a message from one of the many conferences hosted by the Living Faith Fellowship every year. We pray it's a blessing. We're very thankful to be able to be a part of it. I uh, hope you'll uh, grab the handout, the notes. We'll be following that pretty closely, so make sure you got, got have the notes, grab your Bible, have a pen. Hopefully this will be a, an encouragement and a blessing. Uh, Randy's asking if we need our Bibles. I, I would recommend that you have a Bible. You can use a tablet. You can use a device, but yeah, I, I would encourage you to have a Bible. Does that cover it, Randy? It has been good all week. Uh, every, every time I have an opportunity to hear Sam, I am blessed. Uh, well, what, a, what an amazing minister. Uh, I, I do feel like I need to think through some of my illustrations. <laughs> I, I don't have any about being naked. <laughs> so so I, feel, I, I feel like I'm, anyway, I feel like I fall short there. So I'm going to work on that, as well as some of the others. But anyway, what a blessing, what a, what a, what a, what a blessing to, to be ministered by him. Uh, the praise and worship has been amazing, amen. Appreciate Cody and Michael and Josh doing a great job, and obviously they're dear, dear to my heart. That's what I do. I lead praise and worship, and so uh, appreciate the opportunity to minister. You guys do a great job. I was minis- uh, mentioning to the uh, media team. They are dear partners with me. We can't be seen, we can't be heard, lyrics, all that, all those types of things. Without these guys, you guys do a great job. Uh, give them a hand. They, again, let me, they, they typically come earlier than anybody else, and they stay later than anybody else. And anytime you have something going on, the media guys are needed. So uh, you guys are doing a great job, and please know God is using you. And so thank you for what you do and your partnership and allowing us to be heard and to seen. So uh, anyway, it's it's good to be with you. Two years ago, I had an opportunity to minister. I'm 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 always surprised when I get asked to speak, especially getting back asked the second time. <laughs> anyway, uh, but uh, very feel 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 very honored to 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 be able to to, to minister and and share what I've been asked to talk about. Uh, two years ago, just prior to coming up. Uh, Madison texted me, said, hey, Dad, I'm praying for you. And I think I even shared that publicly and what a blessing that was. And I'm glad that uh, uh, Madison was able to come with me this year. And I told him that I was coming back to speak, and he asked if he could come. So I'm uh, very, very proud of my two sons, both that love the Lord. And uh, Madison is college pastor. So indulge me for a moment. In the midst of all COVID, he finished a degree, Dr. Madison Terry. Uh, it's good to have you here. That's... I don't get to introduce him often, so thank you for allowing me to, to do that, uh, but he, God is using him, doing a great job uh, there at his church, and we're very thankful for what he's doing. So James called me and uh, asked me to speak on worship in relation to, to discipleship, and, and I've taught many times on discipleship, I've taught many times on praise and worship, for whatever reason, I've never combined the two, 
like we're going to be talking today. So this is a brand new talk. This is a brand new lesson. And uh, it is not complete in any way. Uh, so I, I hope we will kind of take it together and uh, further develop it. I don't think we've probably answered all the questions as best as we could. But James sent me some questions. I don't know if these were collective from some of the other pastors. I don't know if they just came from James. So un, probably un, unknowing to James, I took that and said, you know, that's going to be my, my outline. And uh, he sent me about four questions uh, that I felt like were good questions that needed to be addressed. And so again, worship in relation to discipleship, developing a like-minded ministry is what we want to look at. So let me, let me pray for us, and then uh, we're going to work through these questions. And uh, again, uh, let God minister to us and show us some things from His Word. Father, we love you. Thank you for the opportunity of being able to be here. I thank you for these men, these women that have gathered, and, and, and as Joe mentioned last night, what a, what a joy to be able to, to gather just for a few days and just be, to be reminded uh, to hit the reset button in areas of our ministry and just to remind, be, be reminded of, of your goodness, your greatness, the importance of ministry, the importance of discipleship, and uh, being faithful to your word. And I thank you that we have a copy of your perfect word. I thank you that we have your word to lead and guide and direct. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that lives within us. I pray that you'll give me clarity of thought in mind as, as, as I seek to answer these questions that have been presented to me and as we minister to these men and that uh, we can be effective. I pray that you'll help us as we leave, as we wrap things up today, and, and as Joe preaches tonight, that we will go from this place excited, more excited about you, encouraged, refreshed, and uh, greater on target to do ministry for you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. So if you look at your notes, I'm, I want to work through the uh, questions that James sent me. And so question number one was, how do we grow like-minded praise and worship leaders? So this is in your notes. It may seem a little strange, but I'm going to kind of walk us through these questions, and then we'll attempt to answer them. How do we grow like-minded praise and worship leaders? God has placed within our church family gifted talent and, and gifted and talented individuals. How do we move these folks from, from, from the congregation to the stage, so to speak? And please understand, there's a lot of influence from the person who stands right here. Amen? I mean, whoever's preaching and teaching is, is, is tremendously influencing your congregation. Whoever's over here is influencing just as much. The person that you put behind the keys, the person that you put behind that guitar, the lyrics that you put on, 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 on these screens, tremendously influential in your congregation. We need to make sure that it's not just having talented individuals that can sing great and play well. It's bigger than that. It's having men and women on stage, they have a walk with God. And so again, how, how, do, how do we grow like-minded praise and worship leaders? How, how, do we, how, how do we help to develop those who God has gifted and called to lead praise and worship in our, in our church services? Question number two that he sent me was, what is the role of discipleship in corporate praise and worship? What is the role of discipleship in corporate praise and worship. Now that's, that's kind of a, that's, that's a big, broad question. Here's my interpretation of what I thought he may be asking. Again, I could have gotten on the phone and, and further talked about it, but here's mine. How, how does discipleship function in a corporate worship setting? What does it look like? How, how does discipleship function in a corporate worship setting? More practically, what does discipleship look like on a Sunday morning stage? 
Question number three, what is the role of corporate worship and discipleship? Kind of sounds like the same question. It is not. Question number two was, what is the role of discipleship in corporate praise and worship? Question three, what is the role of corporate worship in discipleship? In other words, how do our Sunday praise and worship services scripturally minister to our members? How are our members being discipled by what they see and experience in our Sunday praise and worship services? Because they are being influenced. They are being discipled by what they see on stage, by, by what they see and how we participate. And so what is the role of corporate worship and discipleship? And then question number four, what is, what is the pastor's role in cultivating corporate praise and worship? What is the pastor's role? How, how important is it that we address the subject of praise and worship in our messages? And I think it's pretty significant. So as I attempt to address these questions, I, I have... I have two sources that I'm going to work from. There's actually three. I could give you the, the opinions of others, and we all have that. You know, there's stuff that we've read. But the two sources that I'm going to work from, and again, this may seem kind of strange that it's in the notes, uh, but I'm going uh, somewhere with it. Number one, I have my own personal experience, which isn't perfect. My opinions are just that, my opinion. So I have my own personal experience, and you do as well. And we all operate. We either pull from our own personal experiences when we're making decisions or the opinions of others. So I have my own personal experience. So I just want you to know, my opinions are just that, my opinion. Uh, I, I've been leading praise and worship for the past 38 years at Decatur Baptist Church. And here's what that means. I'm old and I've been doing what I'm doing a long time. <laughs> That's all it means. I'm an old guy. And I, I've been doing what I do for a long time. So here's what I've learned and know about age and longevity. Age doesn't always equal wisdom. And you can say amen to that. Age doesn't always equal wisdom. Being old doesn't mean you know everything. So just know, I know that. And that's why I'm here. I came to learn this week. Man, I'm ever learning. I'm ever growing. I haven't, I haven't figured it all out. As long as I have been doing it, what I have been doing, and, and even at my age, I haven't figured it all out. And so, man, this, this is a team ever, and, I, and I'm still wanting to, to grow, and I'm still wanting to learn, and that's why I enjoy coming to these conferences. B, longevity. That's the key word here. Age doesn't always equal wisdom, point A. Point B, longevity doesn't always yield valuable experience. Just because someone's been doing what they do for a long time doesn't mean they've been effective or that they know what they're talking about. And there's a lot of guys that have been doing the same thing <laughs> over and over for a long, long time. And I don't know that's the kind of experience that I'm looking for. If that makes sense. And I'm just going to kind of let the Holy Spirit say what He wants to say in some of this. Versus my commentary. But to be effective, we need to be growing, reading, and learning, and developing in the areas God has called us to serve. To be effective, for me to be effective, I, I've got to constantly be in God's Word, reading it. I've got to be constantly growing in my faith. I've got to be constantly learning about the ministry that God's called me to do. Just because you're called doesn't mean you do what you get, doesn't mean what you do, you do well. Just because you're called, let me say that again, doesn't mean you're going to automatically 
do what you do well. All of us need to be learning. All of us need to be growing. So to be effective, we need... So this is it just, if, if, if you're a praise and worship leader, but any of us, and again, I put this in, in, in writing so that I would say it well, and I want to be cautious sometimes with some of the things I do say. So to be effective, we need to be growing, reading, learning, developing in the areas God has called us. Just because we're called doesn't mean we will, that we will be effective and do it well. To be effective, we need to get outside of the bubble of our own circle of friends and limited personal experiences and go see what others are doing, especially others that are doing it well. I, I, I discovered that many, many years ago, that I needed to get outside of my own comfort zone. I needed to get outside of my own personal experiences, and I needed to go see what, what, what was happening at other churches where the ministry that I was a part of, where it was doing, where, where they were doing it well, and, and, and learning from them. And I don't have to take everything that they're doing. I, I have a Bible that I'll filter it through. And so... It, I went to many places that I wouldn't necessarily land in as far as what my fellowship would be or the camp that I would be a part of, but I have a Bible, and I have a Holy Spirit that will lead and guide and direct me, and there's some things that we could learn from others if we would get outside of our small circle of influence. We don't have to take everything, but there's some amazing things that are going on in the areas of ministry. There's some creative, cool things that are, that, are, that are happening that we could apply here that would be scriptural and doctrinal, filtered through, through God's Word. But you'll never know it. You'll never see it. You'll never be enlightened. You'll never be challenged if you don't move outside of that bubble that we're in. So again, that's just, that's just again, so this is, this is the opinion side, to be effective. Man, let's get outside of the bubble of our own circle and limited personal experiences, and let's go see what others are doing. So that's that one source that I personally have, my own personal experience. Number two, we have God's perfect word. And here's what I believe and know about God's perfect word. As ministers... God's Word is to be our authority in every area of our life and ministry. I would have thought the amens would have been a little bit stronger in this type of conference, but hey, I'm good with that. As ministers, God's Word is to be our authority in every area of our life and ministry. Point B, again, as I'm sharing with you again, we have God's perfect Word, and I want you to know where I'm coming from. I want you to know, again, what my, what my heart is concerning God's Word. It needs to be our authority. Point B, the clarity of Scripture. God's Word is clear and understandable by the leading and guiding and directing of His Holy Spirit. And it will be clear. He will guide us. He will direct us. Point C, the necessity of Scripture. It is impossible to live the Christian life effectively or be the ministers God has called us to be without spending time in God's Word. And I get it. I'm there. You, it, ministry can, can consume a lot of your time, but I need to be in this book. I need to be feeding my soul. I need, I need God be guiding and directing me and fixing me and changing me and correcting me and helping me to be everything. And I cannot be the effective person I, that I need to be. I can't be the dad that I need to be. I can't be the husband that I need to be. I can't be the minister that I need to be unless I'm in God's Word on a daily basis. 
And as ministers, we need to be in God's Word. If you've been given the opportunity, whether it's playing keys, whether it's playing guitar, whether it's leading praise and worship, you need to be a man of God in God's Word. Because you're in, you're in a place of influence. And, and, and in reality, I, we look really good up here where my life really needs to count, and I'm probably getting outside of the, the video, and I apologize, they'll be able to see me. Where my life really needs to count is down here off stage. How I live, how I act, not on stage, but right here in my, with my family, behind the closed doors of my home, that's really important. That's really important. But behind the closed doors, so I have a witness what goes on behind the closed doors of my home. He's sitting here. What goes on behind the closed doors of our homes as ministers is extremely important. How I, how I behave off stage is far, far more important. It gives me the credibility to, to humbly, thoughtfully walk up these steps and stand here. Not just because Pastor Joe asked me to lead praise and worship. Not just because I have a calling of God on my life. But as Sam, man, as he's preached and he's shared, as Jeff has shared, as Randy, uh, others, Jake, this book is to be our authority. And that, that we're living it, that we're following it, that we're letting it be our guide. And so again, point C, the necessity of the Scripture it is impossible to live the Christian life effectively or be the ministers God has called us to be without spending time in God's Word. Faithfully, faithfully being in God's Word isn't just for pastors and teachers. If you lead praise and worship, you need to be faithfully reading and studying God's Word. If you lead praise and worship, you need wisdom, you need knowledge, you need understanding that only comes from spending time in God's Word. If you lead praise and worship, you need the Lord's blessing, power, and anointing on your life just being skilled to play or sing isn't, isn't enough. Number four, the sufficiency of God's Word. We're going to get to the questions in a minute. We're just kind of laying the foundation. But the sufficiency of God's Word. The Bible addresses every ministry need we will ever face. God's Word has the answers we're looking for. Amen? So, question number one, and as we move through the, uh, the, 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 the handout. How do we grow worship leaders? How do we develop those who God has placed in our church family, individuals that God has gifted and called to lead praise and worship? So section one, I've given it the title, My Pastors Discipled Me. My Pastors Discipled Me. Now, I have the privilege, I have an amazing heritage. My dad was a music director. He was in ministry for years, and so... There is, so I do have that influence, and so I'm not here to talk about that part of the, of the influence that I've had in my life. But as I address the question in the sense of discipleship, and uh, man, the, the, the wonderful influence that my dad had in my life, all of that is there. But as we look at how, how, do, how do we grow worship leaders, my pastors discipled me. So I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 4. We're going we're, we're to look at some things in Matthew 4. So as we begin this section, what we're talking about isn't intended to be the standard for everyone who disciples. And I, I, and I tried to, I'm, I'm wanting to be careful how I word this. Because I know how we are. We go from a conference like this, and as ministers, as leaders, we want to go and incorporate discipleship in our church. 
So what we're about to talk about isn't necessarily what I'm going to go take back to incorporate in the broadness of discipleship in my church. I'm talking about your personal discipleship as ministers. My personal discipleship as a praise and worship leader. Church-wide, I, I, we want everyone involved in discipleship. I, I get that. We want everyone to follow the scriptural process of discipleship. Absolutely. But what we're going to look at, what I want us to look at, is the pastor's role and involvement in discipleship. Your personal role, in, your personal discipleship. And I need us to look at our own personal plan and process of discipleship. Not where you're going to go back and implement church-wide, but personally, my personal discipleship. So here's a question. I've had an opportunity to sit down with many pastors uh, who have contacted our church over the years because they've heard about our discipleship ministry and, and it being effective. And as you know, it's, 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 not a, it's, it's not a set of books. It's always, can you mail us your material? And it's kind of like, well, you don't understand. It's not material. It's the philosophy and goals. And so we would invite them to come, and I had the opportunity to sit down with them and, and, and to take them through that process. So one of the questions that many times I would ask uh, as a pastor, what would you give, and I think this is in your notes, what would you give to have a team, what would you give to have a team, a pastoral staff of like-minded persons who love God like you do, and hopefully you love God effectively and well, who have a passion for ministry like you do, and who know, and, and who know how to handle the Word of God like you do? I'm going to kind of go through it again. As a pastor, what would you give? I mean, how valuable would it be if you had a team of persons, you have a team of men, if you had a pastoral staff of like-minded persons who love God like you do, who have a passion for ministry like you do, and who know how to handle the Word of God like you do? I mean, what would our ministry be like? What would it look like? What would, what would, we, be, what would we be able to accomplish? That's the thing. It's, it's great that you know how to do it. What could we do if more knew how to do it? What, what, what could we accomplish so, so that everybody doesn't have to come to you? Kind of like the example in the Old Testament as Moses' father-in-law was looking on his ministry and everybody's lined up out the door and they're there to see Moses. And and I, and I love the way it reads. What are you doing to these people? Why, why are you treating them this way? Well, they've come, they've come to me to in, inquire of the Lord. That, that's a good thing. But you're not the only one who can know how to give them information. You're not the only one who can teach them and minister to them. And, and I think somebody alluded to it in one of the lessons. Again, he, the, the, the uh, uh, advice that was given was take able men from among the congregation, and you have able men that, can, that, that have various levels of, of ministry capability, and teach them and show them the way. And so what, what, what could our ministry be like if I didn't have to handle everything? And so even take it, take it, take it away from the lead pastor, what would my ministry be like as a praise and worship leader if I didn't have to handle everything? And I, had, and I had other dedicated, godly men and women that were a part of my team who loved God just like I love God, who knew God's Word just like I know God's Word, were passionate about, wow, what could my ministry look like? So I'm not the only one leading it, but there are others that are a part of that. 
So how do we grow and develop worship leaders who are like-minded? They know how to lead scripturally. They know how to handle God's Word. And, and the Bible gives us the answer, and I think you guys know what the answer is. It's called, yeah, I, I don't have anything new probably to share today. It's just being reminded of things I think we already know. The Bible gives us the answer. It's called discipleship. But what I've discovered, it, that takes time and it takes work. Discipleship isn't, isn't a generic program for the overall spiritual growth of the church. And I believe in discipleship, and it is, and it is the scriptural way we grow people in, their, in, in the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Discipleship is how a pastor or any church leader, leader mentors and develops his ministry team. I think we know that. I'm just not sure we're doing it. Discipleship is how a pastor or any church leader mentors and develops his ministry team. We all gave the right answer, and I knew we would. I'm just not sure we're living it out. Discipleship is how Christ raised up his apostles, his staff, if I can use that word, his ministry team, if you will allow me, the men who, who he would trust to carry out his mission, the Great Commission. Discipleship is how Christ trained 12 men and trusted them to do the work of the ministry. As I was thinking on this, and if you'll give me a little bit of liberty, uh, I don't know if it was a conversation that Jesus had with, his, with, his, with, with, with the Heavenly Father. I see Jesus as the first church planter. And... Uh, Father, let's, let's, let's go plant a church. Let's go plant a church on the earth. And I'm not going to take my sons of God that I know could do really well. I, I, man, I, the morning stars that sang and the sons of God that shouted, man, that the team that he could have brought with him to plant a church, how, ama how amazing it would have been. But I'm going to... I'm, I'm, I'm going to go plant a church on the earth and I'm going to raise up the leadership team from, the, from among the men and women that I'm going to redeem. In fact, the Bible says we've been given the power to become sons of God. So he, he could have brought his sons of God and they would have done an amazing job, but for whatever reason, in God's plan and purpose in, in planting a church on earth, again, uh, he, he, he chose to, 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 to develop his leadership right here on earth for, uh, among us. His plan was to plant a church that would reproduce itself on the earth. And instead of, bring, instead of bringing his faithful sons of God, instead of staffing his team with his trained heavenly messengers, he chose to raise up the needed leaders from among the people he came to save and redeem. That's what Moses did in, in, in Exodus 18. That's what Paul did in his missionary journeys in the book of Acts. He discipled, he trained, he ordained elders from among the people in the churches that he planted. So as we begin to look at Jesus's ministry, number one, Jesus carefully, and this is where I want us to get real personal. This is not about taking discipleship back in a corporate way, but as we look at our own personal discipleship, as we look at Jesus and how he did it, and as we follow his example, and as we follow his lead, number one, Jesus carefully chose his disciples, his ministry team. Jesus carefully chose. If you've already turned in Matthew chapter 4, let me just read the, the, the passage where 
He begins his ministry in Matthew 4, beginning in verse 18. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw brethren, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting an end into the sea, for they were fishers. And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And, he, and they straightway left their nets and followed him. Now, it appears somewhat casual, and he's just randomly inviting people. I, I assure you, that's not what's happening. I assure you, that's not what's happening. Verse 21, and going on from thence, he saw other two brethren, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother in a ship with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them. And they immediately left the ship and their father and followed him. So here's, here, here's the point that I want to make, and there's other scriptures we could go to, and I wasn't sure again concerning my time. Again, this is a brand new, le- I, I've never taught it before. So here we go. Point A, Jesus thoughtfully invited Jesus thoughtfully invited specific men to come follow him. And I, I think you're getting the point. As lead pastor, as praise and worship leader, as ministers, I'm of the opinion we need to be a little bit more thoughtful in who we choose to give our time to. Now again, I, w- I want to be cautious with that. I'm not saying that is because I'm somehow better than anybody else. And the Lord knows my heart. I don't have to prove anything to you. But I think we need to be a little bit more thoughtful, knowing what God has called us to do, and knowing that we're to reproduce ourselves. I'm of the opinion I need to be a little bit more thoughtful in who I choose to disciple if I'm to reproduce myself. And I really think lead pastors need, need to consider that. Look, and so that's, that's, that's going to that's gonna be one of those things we don't publicly talk about in church. But I think if you look at the Scriptures closely, I don't want to use the word favorite, but Peter, James, and John seem to have a relationship the rest of the guys didn't have with Jesus. And I think it was on purpose. I, I, I think it had a reason. I think Jesus saw the potential in, in those men. Jesus didn't ask for volunteers. He chose his disciples. John 15, 16, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you. Jesus didn't randomly disciple men. He carefully selected the men he would invest his time in. Jesus did not do discipleship simply as a broad, generic illustration for us to follow. Jesus had a divine plan, a divine purpose, and a limited amount of time to train and prepare 12 men to carry out his mission. So it was imperative that he carefully chose who he was going to give his time to. Amen? I mean, I find it, and and I find this interesting, and I've never heard much talked about, but as as I thought, I find that once these men were selected, no one else joined the team. Over that three, three and a half years, no one else was invited to be a part of his team during his three, three and a half years of ministry. Jesus thoughtfully, carefully invested, knowing his plan, knowing the purpose, knowing why he came, knowing what he was wanting to accomplish. I I just think we need to be a little bit more thoughtful as we look at our as we, as we look at our Savior, as we look at how Jesus did it as, as ministers, I just think we need to be a little bit more thoughtful and careful. 
like it or not, because of Jesus' ministry plan and because of his calling and because of the importance of his ministry, he was very selective with who he gave his time to. Point B, Jesus ministered to the crowds, but he invested his time in the twelve. He ministered to the crowds, but he invested his time in the twelve. Jesus invested the quality of his time training and mentoring his disciples. Jesus had a relationship with these men that developed over time, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. They ate together. They traveled together. They worked together. They went to hillside conferences together. They prayed together. Isn't that what they did? I mean, as we look at him and as, as we look at how, how we develop relationships and how we mentor, how we do discipleship, it's not just lessons. It's, it's doing ministry together. It's inviting them to come on stage with us and, 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 and to, to, to shadow us and to be with us, and, and we're doing it together. And that's exactly what Jesus did. And, and, and that meant they, they did all of these things together. Jesus rarely traveled alone or did ministry alone. His team was always with him. Amen? Always with him. Always with him. The crowds enjoyed the miracles, but the disciples enjoyed an intimate, life-changing relationship with Jesus. The crowds heard him preach, the disciples heard him pray. The crowds knew him from a distance, so to speak. The disciples knew him up close and very personal. Discipleship is a relationship. And I think we've been taught that. We know that. So point C. My pastors discipled me. And I say that plural because I've been blessed to have three individuals to to be my pastor over my tenure of of these 38 years. But my pastors discipled me. They, They spent quality, personal time investing in me. When we began what we used to call discipleship evangelism, my pastor began with me. We, we learned the process and the material together. I remember him saying, we're, we're going to learn this together, and then we're going to train our members. He began with me. Uh, when we began to encourage our members to read through the Bible, that's a novel idea, amen? <laughs> Sounds strange, but the point being, when we began to encourage them to, to, to read through the Bible, my pastor began with me. I, heard him, I remember him saying, we, we can't ask our members to do something we're not willing to do ourselves. And I remember that, 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 that time where we held one another accountable, and, we see, and the, the plan was, let's read, through, uh, let's read through the New Testament once a month for a year. And we did that, and held one another accountable. Next year was, let's read through the Old Testament every couple of months or, or some, some, some kind of time frame. And we did that for a year. And that began an ongoing, ever reading through the Bible that I've never stopped doing. But he discipled me. They discipled me. They, they poured into me, as, at, especially because of my position. I was on staff. And so it always, bega- it, it always began with the leaders. Let's get them trained, and then we'll move it out to the rest of the congregation.
when we began to further develop a more complete scriptural process of discipleship, again, my pastor began with me and the other staff members. Over the years, we've, we, we developed our vision and direction as a staff together. We attended leadership conferences together. We went on staff retreats together. We read books together. We were like-minded as a team because of the time we spent together. I know that to be true not only as a staff, but the, 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 the men, the women that are a part of my ministry team. And the conferences that I went to, and I was talking to Jay or Randy or someone earlier, and he was, and it was Jay, and, I, and again, commend him for, and I was talking to Cody last night in the meal, and you guys have about a dozen people that are here, and, and bringing them, and, and letting them catch the vision. You can't, it is very challenging to take the excitement and the vision that you catch in a conference and take it back by yourself. And the conferences that I went to, knowing where, I, where, where we needed to go as a ministry team musically, knowing the direction that I felt like God was leading and guiding and directing us, I took, I, I took as many of our, as, of, of our team with me, and they probably came back and did more influence than I did. Because they would catch the vision of the conference. They would catch the vision. They would see what I was sharing. Man, they would see things happening that, man, man, could that happen at our church? I think it could, if you'll help me. Man, can, can we do that? I, I really think we can, but you're going to have to help me. And they would come back. And, and, and we became like-minded. We, we became close. Uh, man, we, 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 we all became passionate and unified in the direction that we were wanting to go because we did it together. We attended conferences together. We talked about it together. And, and, and we de it, it developed as a team. It wasn't just me coming along and saying, hey guys, here's what we're going to do. And we all kind of know how that works out sometimes. Amen? We're going to talk a little bit more about the, that and, and, and the idea of when you're wanting to kind of change the direction of some of the things in your church. But we were like-minded as a team because of the time we spent together. Number two, Jesus loved these men. This gets a little bit delicate right here. He spent quality time developing a relationship with his ministry team. Jesus loved these guys. Now, this is in your notes. In Matthew 4, Jesus calls these men his disciples, a follower, a learner. That's, that's where the process begins. Matthew 10, Jesus called these men his, yeah, you guys know this, nothing new here, sent one servants. In John 15, Jesus called these men his friends, someone you care for, someone you know really well, someone you, that you're close to. I think these passages are in your notes. John 13, 34. A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one to another. John 15, 9, As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. And this is Jesus talking intimately with his disciples. Continue in my love. 
Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken to you that, that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my, if you do whatsoever I command you. John 15, 17, these things have I commanded you, that you love one another. Pastor Joe say, anytime the Lord repeats himself, it's, 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 it's God's volume control. <laughs> Hope you're listening. This is, this, is, this, is, this, is, this is the Savior mentoring his staff. He's mentoring his team. And, and, and they've gone from being just followers. They've grown to where they're participants, they're, they're apostles, to a point where he now calls them his Friends, very, very dear individuals. Jesus took the time to develop a relationship with, with his ministry team, his staff. And that takes time. Jesus loved these men. Jesus' friends were his staff and ministry team. Jesus trusted these men with the work of the ministry. And number three, Jesus thought beyond his earthly ministry. Jesus thought beyond his earthly ministry. He prepared others to do the work of the ministry with him and after he would be gone. So as pastors, how do, how do we grow and develop like-minded praise and worship leaders? We bring them alongside of us and we invest quality time in them. It's called discipleship. I want to close this section with four questions that I just I think just we need to kind of ponder in our heart. Again, this is not about taking discipleship back corporately and but as we look at our ministry as pastors, number one, as pastors. Are we discipling randomly just to be seen? Just to say, hey, we're, we're involved. Just to say we're doing what we're asking everybody else to do. Or are we thoughtfully, prayerfully choosing who we will disciple? Are we developing and investing in our present ministry staff and team? That's what Jesus did. Number two, how would you describe your relationship with your staff? And I want to be thoughtful. I'm being careful. I really am. Right. Are they followers? Are they your servants? Or are they genuinely your ministry friends? you love, that you care for. Number three, as pastors, do we care enough for our ministry that we're investing in the persons who have the potential to take our place? And, and that, I, I get that's a challenging question. 
Obviously, obviously, Jesus could see in the hearts of men that you and I can't see. Uh, but according to God's Word, that Holy Spirit lives inside of me. And uh, I think I need to be a little bit more prayerful and thoughtful as I consider, Lord, who would you have me invest my time in? Because discipleship just can't be something that we randomly do. And I just participate because we want everybody doing it. they got to see me involved in it. So, hey, I think I'll, you know, disciple old Joe. And sorry for, you know, use another name. <coughs> old Tom, Madison, <laughs> whoever. I'll just disciple him because he needs somebody and I, and I need to be involved. Or do I take my calling seriously? Do I take what God has called me serious enough? And, and I love you, if you are my kind, I love you enough that I'm going to disciple people that I believe have the potential to love and minister to you. Because if I follow through with how discipleship operates, they're, they're going to be given positions of leadership and you're, you're going to catch the brunt of that. Because I put them there. Amen or on me. And I didn't do it thoughtfully. I didn't do it cautiously. I, I, do it, I didn't do it reverently. I was just participating. Surely I love you enough as your lead pastor to be more thoughtful than that. People I'm going to allow minister to minister to you, they're going to do it like I would. They're going to do it with the heart that I would. They're going to do it with the care that I would. Because we're like-minded. We've, 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 man, we've been praying together. And we went to the disciple conference together. And we, we came back excited about the counseling ministry together. And, and getting involved and in, in, in being in ministry Whatever the case may be. Last question that I think we need to at least consider. Question number four. How many great churches or ministries how many great churches or ministries of the past no longer exist or no longer are effective because the founding pastor or lead pastor didn't disciple someone to take his place? Are we okay with that? I don't know that I answered James's question effectively there. Uh, there's probably a lot of work to be done, but I think we have some things we can look at. Question number two, what is the role of discipleship in corporate worship? What is the role of discipleship in cor corporate worship? So this is section two, which I've given it the title, We Need to Share the Stage. Kind of a strange title, but we need to share the stage. The text that I want us to go to is Matthew chapter 10, and this is, this is an amazing passage, and, 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 and again, we could spend a whole lot of time here. I will try and be, again, thoughtful uh, you know, with, with my time, but in Matthew 10, let's, let's read it, and then let me go through some of the notes. And when he had called in his 12 disciples, and they've, they've been following Jesus, and if you were to go back from Matthew 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9... They've been watching Jesus heal the sick and raise the dead and minister and care and, and all these kind of things. They've been watching and observing. Man, it's been an amazing time. 
He gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. The idea that Jesus would now... I mean, do you know the notoriety that comes when, you can, when you're known for, hey, I, I, I can heal the sick and raise the dead? That's, that's a cool thing to be able to do. You know the people that will come flock into your church? <laughs> if you can really do that? And, if, and even if you can't, they'll come running. I think we've seen that. We know that. But the, the, the notoriety that comes with, with that kind of prominence and that kind of, man, that, that kind of, it's hard to say talent, but those kinds of, of ministry abilities. And Jesus would say, Jeff, if you and I were a part of that team, he's going to let Jeff and I go heal the sick and raise the dead. He's going to share his ministry stage with me and you. Now, I'm going to look at Jeff and say, dude, have you ever done this before? <laughs> and I'm going to be a little bit nervous, and he's going to look at me. Man, you, you ever, we're, it's, we're going to go out a little bit tentative, but our mentor, our discipler, is giving us an opportunity to minister on his same stage. And that's where I learned how to do ministry. Giving me that opportunity. And, and there, there's so much that comes out of this concerning leadership and how so many times we want to hang on to certain parts of our ministry. And that's the only part, man. Nobody else could do it. No, others could. Others could. And, and, and releasing it, and, and I think how we release that. And so, but it goes on to say, he gave them power uh, to do these amazing things. Verse 2, now the name of these, now the name of the 12, what's the next, what's this word here? Apostles, yep, so the first time in Scripture now, they've gone from being disciples to apostles. They're sent ones. If you jump down to about verse 5, these 12 Jesus sent forth. And then if you jump down to verse 8, heal the sick, cleanse lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils, freely you've received, freely give. What an amazing thing. And this is, this is, an, this is an important process of discipleship. So number one, what we see in Matthew 10 is a critical step in the discipleship process and relationship. For the first time, point A, for the first time, Jesus calls his, his disciples apostles. Their relationship is growing. They're not just watching now. They're participating. He's going to give them an opportunity to, take, to, to, to serve in, on his behalf in his place, to come on stage with him, so to speak. Point B, they're, they're no longer just observers of Christ's ministry. They now join him on his ministry stage. They're no longer just observers. Jesus is going to allow these men to literally do what they've been watching Jesus do. What an important principle. Number two, Jesus gave his apostles the power to do the work of the ministry. Now, you and I understand what that means. Literally, he placed his power, his Holy Spirit's power for them to be able to do that. Obviously, if I was discipling James, I don't have that kind of power, brother. But here's what I can do for James. I can empower him in the eyes of the congregation where they've been seeing me do ministry and I've been discipling James, and I bring him alongside, and I begin to let James do what I've been doing. And not just in my absence. You remember in school when you had a substitute teacher? None of us treated him or her like a real teacher. 
They're a substitute. <laughs> We're not going to listen to him or her. They're a, they're not the real deal. But when I let James, and, and James has done this well. He's taught guys how to play bass guitar. Madison and I were talking. Uh, you, you, you had an amazing influence in my family. I'm forever blessed with James and Brian Collins. I think Brian Collins was your care group leader. And James was my son, Mason, uh, care group leader. And these guys have invested in my son. But uh, we were talking uh, just, uh, just how you've taught guys how to, in fact, Madison was talking about some of, one of the things that you were doing, just showing simple things, how to, how to play a, a bass guitar, and then giving that bass guitar and letting that person play it. And James obviously could have done it more effectively, but letting somebody else have that opportunity to play. So the point being, letting James now minister, not when I'm absent, but when I'm here, and I'm on the front row saying, Amen, brother! Or he's... And I'm lifting my hands, and the people begin to see, oh, he's not a substitute. He's a real worship leader. Rex isn't always doing it. Rex isn't always teaching. Rex isn't always leading. And, and I empower him as being credible and worthy of being listened to and give him the same respect that you give me. That's, that's how Jesus did it. And, and that's what we need. And so that's, that's how we bring people from our congregation to the stage, so to speak. That, that's, how we get, that's how we get them involved, giving them that opportunity. Uh, so, so again, Jesus uh, gave, gave the apostles power to do the work of the ministry. Did, that, did we give you point two? Is that where we're at? So the Lord taught, again, the Lord taught me a huge lesson several years ago uh, concerning this. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not a mechanic by any means or stretch of the, the imagination. I, I was headed to church, used to live out in the county. I was coming, coming into the service one evening, and, and, and the, 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 the lights on my car just kind of began to get dim, 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 and, and the motor just kind of stopped running, and I have no idea what's going on. And I pulled aside the road, kind of like, good grief. Now, I've been doing what I do 38 years. I'm 62, so please, my story, I don't, I don't have a cell phone to use. I don't have a bag phone to use, and you may not even know what that is. Joe and I bought our two bag phones together, and I still have mine. It's up on a shelf, but I still have mine. This is back in the day when you had to go walk and find a, find a phone. That's, so again, that's, that's where we're at. So I go find a phone, call a friend, we get the car back to my house, and uh, he says, I think it's your alternator. Great, what do we do? So we lift the hood and points, hey, here it is. And uh, I happen to have tools. And we had the right tools. And so together we took that alternator out and uh, he told me where to take it. He told me about what it would cost to get it fixed. And so the next day I took it to that place. It cost about what he said it would cost to fix. And then his closing words were, it goes back in the same way it came out. I think you got this. But if you need my help, call. So the next day, got it rebuilt, brought it back. Here, here's me in my car. Lift the hood up. Hey, it went back in the same way he said it would. 
Uh, I knew the belt needed to have some tension on it. I had, I had, a, I don't know why I bought it, but I had a screwdriver that long. I don't even remember why I bought it, but I had a screwdriver that long that allowed me to put tension on it and hold that while I tightened up that bolt, got it, got it tight, clipped the wires back together. Boy, get my keys out. Definitely again, old school. I don't even have to use my keys to start my car anymore. But anyway. Get, get, get the keys out. It's one of those manual, have to turn the ignition kind of deals back in the day. <laughs> I turned the ignition and she started. I felt like Mr. Goodrich. <laughs> I can change alternators. And the Lord used that to impress upon me. He said, Rex, there are men, there are persons in church just like you. They've never done it before. They would never volunteer to participate. But if you'll come alongside and do it with them and encourage them and show them how and give them opportunities, they can learn how to do ministry. I had the pastor said, hey, we've got some widow ladies that their, their alternators are broke. And, and men, we need some help. Prior to that, I would have never raised my hand and said, I can help. Not because I didn't love widows. Not because I didn't have a heart for God. I didn't know how. Why, why, why would I volunteer to help somebody do something? I don't know how. And, and, and it's not that I'm, I may look dumb. It's, it's not that I was ignorant. Uh, I just never done it before. And God used that. And, and so here's the deal. There are, there, there are things that we ask for in the church that there are people, they're not going to volunteer. There, there, there are individuals that their hands just begin to sweat. Hey, brother, would you lead in prayer today? No, not me. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and we treat them as though they're, they're, they, they don't care. It's not that they don't care. It's not that they don't love God. They just need someone to show them how. And God impressed upon me. Well, and, and, and my friend could have get. You know, he could have given me a book and said, hey, read about, here's, here's how to do it. But the point being, he came alongside, and that's what Jesus did. Just the point being, uh, point A, you and I have the ability to empower our members to do the work of the ministry by coming alongside of them and doing ministry together with them. Amen? Point B, uh, you and I have the ability to empower our members as true ministers when we allow them, uh, to, to, when we allow them to take our place when we're present, not just when we're absent. Number three, Jesus shared his ministry stage with his apostles. Jesus shared his ministry stage with his apostles. One of the, one of the greatest things my pastor did for me was give me, and this, this, was, this was my, so this, this, this was, okay, I'm in serving 38, 37, so 36 years ago. I'm just two years on being staff. And uh, the pastor said, I'd like for you to teach my class. I'm, I'm, of course, this is back in the day when leading praise and worship was, hey, take your hymnal and let's turn it into 235 and you got a piano, you got an organ, and, and, and I was, I'm comfortable with that. Doing what I do right now, I'm way out of my element. It, I, I'm not, I mean, speech class in college was, man, panic like everything. So I studied all week, uh, thinking I'm going to teach for an hour. I think 10 minutes in, 
I'd shot the wad. <laughs> We're done. And had X amount of time left. That, that was my first opportunity. And praise the Lord for the men and women that endured my preaching and teaching at that time. Godly, solid, grounded, can't move them. I'm not going to steer them. <laughs> I'm not going to mislead them. That allowed me to learn how to communicate and preach and teach and a pastor. So, my point being, I really think way beyond having the skill to, to lead praise and worship, as praise and worship leaders, we need, to, we need to know how to handle the Word of God. We need to know how to handle the Word of God. And I will be forever thankful and grateful that I had a pastor, whether he did it intentionally, thoughtfully, gave me that opportunity. I was on a mission trip in Sao Paulo, Brazil. In fact, Madison was with me on that trip. And we were leading a discipleship conference. We had about 150 national pastors there. And again, the Lord impressed upon me, an individual, that I had an opportunity to disciple. And again, again, the prestige of being, being the speaker, I gave that opportunity to my disciple to preach, to share, versus me doing. Again, knowing that that's, that's, that's how we learn to do ministry. And, 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 and taking those opportunities where I, I could, but, but letting someone else do it. Sharing our ministry stage is one of the most effective ways you'll ever mentor and train persons for the ministry. Now, I think this is in your notes. You don't learn to do the work of the ministry by being lectured in a class. You learn by doing. You learn by doing. And we've been going for an hour, right? Is that correct? And I need to wrap up in 10 minutes or so. We can do it. Because it, get, it, it, it gets shorter. Next question, what is the role of corporate worship and discipleship? What is the role of corporate worship and discipleship? Section 3, I titled it, We Lead by Example, We Don't Perform. We lead by example, we don't perform. So this is where the notes trying to be thoughtful to Greg, who was saying, I need your notes, I need your printed notes, so I sent them on. I wasn't complete here, so a couple of things you might need to write into. Number one, if you want to change the direction of your, mu your, your music ministry, let me slow down. If you want to change the direction of your music ministry, you, pastor, have to lead the way. Don't make the music guy the bad guy. That, that happens more times than... We want to change the direction, but we bring a guy in to do it, nobody likes it, and then we fire him, and you're still there. Amen or oh me, and you don't take the heat for it, but you invited him and you hired him. Fix that, please. Fix that. Or I could use another word, and I, I, I'm going to call it a Samism. I could use an illustration of what you need to do, but man up and lead, please. That's just for me. Number two, if you want to change the praise and worship experience in your church, you have to lead by example. If you want to change the direction, then you got to lead. If you want to change the experience, you got to lead. Number three, if you want to make changes, you, your staff, and ministry team together in unity have to lead the way. 
You guys okay with that? Real quick, Psalm 40, I was reading through this passage, and this became my ministry verse, and man, I, I, probably if you were to ask anybody a part of our ministry, and you're at, hey, what's Psalm 40, verse 3? They, they, they would know it. But it begins by saying, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me. He heard my cry. Verse 2, he brought me also out of an horrible pit, praise God, out of the miry clay. He set my feet upon a rock. He established my goings. Here's the verse. He hath put a new song in my mouth. He hath been praising to our God. Many shall, what's it say? You would think it say here. It says see. Many will see it. They will see the transformation. They will see the excitement. And if you and I will participate, if we will lead praise and worship scripturally, biblically, according to God's word, many will see it in fear and shall trust in the Lord. Our praise and worship could be very evangelistic if we just simply got in God's word and, and, and we did it God's way. And so I'm constantly letting our team know, hey, the, the way we look, how we minister, our People are watching. They're, 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 they're not just sitting there with their eyes closed, listening. Many shall see it, fear, and shall trust in the Lord. There's a whole lot of things we could say right there. Let me move on real quickly. What is the pastor's role in cultivating corporate worship? This can go pretty quick. Section four, we need to preach and teach scriptural praise and worship. We need to preach and teach scriptural praise and worship. Now stay with me here. The Bible clearly states and illustrates the kind of praise and worship God desires from his people. You may not like the next point, but I believe in it. And it's kind of, again, you have the right to be wrong. Biblical praise and worship, biblical praise and worship isn't just an emotional response to God. It's an act of faith and obedience. Biblical praise and worship isn't a response to a particular favored musical style. It's a prefer, it, or, or a preferred presentation or one's favorite song. Biblical praise and worship isn't a, isn't a response to a particular favored musical style, a preferred presentation or one's favorite song. Biblical praise and worship is an exercise of faith and trust in God's word. Both praise and worship and both words do not mean the same thing. And I know we kind of use them interchangeably. Please learn the definition of both. And I'm going to move on from there. Both praise and worship require a scriptural response. I don't know if you're familiar with the, the, the song, The Heart of Worship. Let me, let me just give you a quick backstory. The pastor began to recognize that the excitement level of the congregation seemed to be based upon the band that was there on a given Sunday or the particular song that was being sung. And if, we're sing, if we sing this particular song, we're really excited about God. We sing this other song over here. We don't really seem to be excited about God. God hadn't changed. But the emotion is attached to either the song. The, 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 the emotion is, is attached to how, how, how man, the, the keyboard or, or the riffs that the, the, the electric guitar guy is playing. It's, it's tied to those things versus really being all about God. So this, this is a pastor that manned up. Hey, let's just get rid of the band and everything. And for a while, they had no band. For a while, they didn't use all the, the, the media equipment. And they just led worship that way. And out of that came these words. I'm coming back to the heart of worship. <laughs> it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. 
I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it. When it's all about you, Jesus. And so many times, and I, I challenge our choir, I don't care what song we're singing, but we got our passion isn't about the song. And, and, and I get we all have our favorites. Our passion isn't about the style. Our passion is about, passion is about Almighty God. And we're going to be excited for Him. And we're going to praise Him. We're going to exalt Him. And so I, I went through the Scriptures. A, a lot of it came from Psalms. And so we're going to go through this. And I'm not going to go through all the Scriptures. But the characteristics of Scriptural praise and worship, and, and I'm going to be, number one, the attitude of Scriptural praise and worship. Keyword is attitude. The Bible tells us the attitude we ought to have. And that attitude is total trust and obedience and surrender to God's word. In Genesis 22.5, the word worship is used for the first time. And, and Abraham says, I in the lab will go yonder and worship. They're not going to go sing. They're gonna, they're, he's going to go obey and do what God has told him to do. Worship in its purest form is you and I simply obeying and serving God. And that can happen on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. My worship that's acceptable, God, is not just being here on stage. My worship is based upon my obedience and my walk with Him. The attitude, there is a biblical attitude of genuine praise and worship. Number two, the walk of scriptural praise and worship. It requires clean, holy, righteous living. You and I want to be acceptable. You and I want to be, be, be and, and, and there's, the scriptures are there. I'm going to let you read them on, on your own because of time. Number three, the way of scriptural praise and worship. What I mean by that is, 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 is what, how do we literally praise and worship the Lord? And it's singing, it's shouting, it's clapping, it's rejoicing. There were times, even as a young man, I read through the Psalms and I saw the joy and the excitement. I wonder, why doesn't this happen at my church? Why, why don't we raise our hands? Why don't we clap? Why aren't we excited? Because the Bible talks about it. And, I, and I've discovered the reason. We, 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 wanna, we, want, we want salvation to be scriptural. We want baptism to be scriptural. We want our discipleship to be scriptural. But when it comes to praise and worship, well, it's just, just kind of how I feel. No, it's not how you feel. As Sam was saying, that's the old man. Get saved and let God change you and get in God's word and find out how he wants you to come into his presence because it's all about him, not you. So the way of worship. Number four, the person of scriptural praise and worship. Hey, it's all about God, amen? Number five, the words of scriptural praise and worship. Man, if I, if I can say it, the words that we put up on these screens matter. Somebody needs to be filtering and asking, is this message even scriptural? I think Madison, we were talking at, at, at the table and he brought up a, a song. Do we even know why we're singing those words or what that means? Somebody needs to be fixing that. Somebody needs to be leading that. Somebody needs to be helping with that. That's why as a worship leader, man, I need to know God's word. Because Minus the pastor, man, some of the most influential people on your stage are the people that are leading praise and worship. And we need to make sure those songs that are being sung are scriptural, they're godly, that they're anointing, that they're doctrinally sound. Because so many, man, in, in, in those dark moments of, of discouragement, messages typically don't come to mind. Bible verses come to mind and songs come to mind that minister to our hearts. 
And when you tie good godly messages to a, a well-written melody line, wow, how powerful that is. How powerful. So, so words matter. So you need someone who, who can help with that. Number six, the time of scriptural praise and worship. The time. It's daily. The scriptures are there. It's not a scheduled time. Oh, okay, it's now, it's now time to praise and worship. It, 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 it is a daily relationship with the Lord. Number seven, the reason of scriptural praise and worship. The reason, just because he's God. There, there's a multitude of scriptures that you can read. Number eight, the sound of scriptural praise. There is a sound. It, 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 just the Bible literally describes what it should sound like, and it ought to be joyous. There's times when it is reverent. Man, there's times when it's loud and exciting. There's times when it's quiet, but there is a sound. You can recognize, hey, God's in the house. Number nine, the instruments of scriptural praise and worship. My opinion, all are welcome. All can be used for the glory of God. Number 10, the command of scriptural praise and worship, it's not an option. Don't stand with there with your hands folded. The results of scriptural praise and worship, God is moved to action and the lost are drawn to God. And there's some great scriptures that you can look at there. Guys, I love you. Thank you for the opportunity. James, I hope this has been a blessing. I hope it's kind of answered the questions that you've had. I love you guys. Thank you for allowing me to be a part. And uh, man, I, may, may God use us and bless us for his honor and for his glory. Amen. Amen, amen. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Did you guys love that as much as I did? I mean, I didn't really love the first part. I was hurting on that one. But man, that was awesome. Praise the Lord. Not only did I get like 11 weeks of sermons outlined for me in that last section, Man, it, it really, all the content was fantastic. Uh, maybe it's just because I know Brother Rex. But man, just to see his heart, man. Give some perspective when you have somebody who's been in ministry for 38 years. Certainly some highs, some lows, some times where you see successes and sometimes where there's challenges. And praise the Lord for your faithfulness. Thanks for investing in us today. I uh, know not everybody's in here, but man, we've had a dozen teachers just pouring God's word into us with such great wisdom. Um, thank you to everybody. I know Jeff's in here, Joe's in here, Jay's in here. Man, you guys are awesome. Um, can't thank you enough. Um, all right. Yeah, give them a hand. They're awesome. So this obviously is our last uh, session. We'll have our evening service tonight. Uh, that's the finale. You don't want to miss that. Dinner's at 5.30. Uh, the service begins at 6.30. And, uh... We hope this message was a blessing to you. If you're interested in learning more about the Living Faith Fellowship, visit lffellowship.com. God bless.